agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love, the government hug the government love, the government Welcome to The Politics Guy, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. Today, in Part 7 of our Election 2020 series, we'll be discussing the vice presidential debate between Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris, which was held last night, Wednesday, October 7th. But before we get to that vice presidential debate, I want to start us off with the outbreak of coronavirus in the Trump administration. Now, this happened in the wake, of course, of the September 26th ceremony uh, announcing the president's Supreme Court nominee, and a number of officials in attendance have contracted coronavirus. President Trump's case was serious enough for him to spend several days in the hospital and also to receive supplemental oxygen and even an experimental non-FDA-approved treatment. It's also clear that far more prominent Republicans are contracting COVID than Democrats. According to one sort of running tally I found of COVID-related positive uh, politicians, candidates, and government officials at the federal level, just over 72% have been Republicans. So I want to start with that. Is there a message or a lesson to take away from the sort of the White House outbreak, the general uh, greater tendency of Republican officials to get COVID or not? What do you think? Doc? You said um, like 72%. What that tells me is these people are out doing work, uh, beating the bushes, uh, getting with other people, and not being afraid of the uh, COVID. Uh, I mean, it, it, it looks to me like uh, a positive thing, to tell you the truth. Okay. Olivia. So it's not just about being afraid of COVID. It's that if you have COVID and you're holding super spreader events, or even if, um, obviously, with this uh, instance, I don't think anybody went to that event knowing they had COVID, but when there's the the chance of being asymptomatic um, and events like this are being held among White House officials and there's hardly any masks in sight and people are, um, you know, very close to each other. There were a lot of videos and pictures of people hugging each other and standing right next to each other and speaking right next to each other. Um, first of all, that sets a really poor example for the American people, which was brought up um, in the debate. But it, like, if, if that's what we're seeing our leaders do, how can the American people be expected to um, wear masks and, and not hold super spreader events themselves? Um, and I think I also take major issue with Trump tweeting that I, you know, survived COVID and it's been four days and I'm fine now and there's nothing to be afraid of. Trump had treatment and had care that the average American does not have um, because he's such an important person and he's, uh, he has money and he's the president of the United States. Just because he was okay after four days does not mean that the average American will be okay after four days. And I think that, um, that, that uh, ignores the 210,000 people who have died. Um, so I just think it's a very poor example that's being uh, given by the White House officials and by President Trump. Hey. Um, along those lines, I agree with Olivia. I think it sets a really poor um, 
kind of example for other people to follow, especially considering 34 people um, following the event have been connected to contracting the virus, um, especially with Mike Pence said in the debate where he's kind of going to leave it more up to the American people to decide what's best for them. It again goes back to the bad example. If people are making decisions that are best for them and then 34 people contract the virus, how can the White House say we're going to contain this when they're having trouble containing it themselves? All right. You know, uh, again, before we move on to the actual vice presidential debate, we actually had some news just this morning, uh, Thursday, October 8th, that the Commission on Presidential Debates uh, in in response to COVID actually has changed the format of the October 15th town hall debate between President Trump and Joe Biden to a virtual format, in their words, in order to protect the health and safety of all involved. Now, in response, President Trump said in a Fox Business interview, I'm not going to waste my time on virtual debate. That's not what debating is all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. And then they cut you off whenever they want. So is President Trump right here? I mean, does he have a valid point? Or do you think, as some might say on the left, uh, that his refusal is more due to his unwillingness to be automatically cut off, which clearly would be easier to do in a virtual debate? Skyler. I feel like if this was a typical situation, there wouldn't necessarily be a need for a digital debate, which I could understand one being upset about not being in person debating. But we are in the middle of a pandemic and transferring the debate to online, which our current president has tested positive for COVID and Joe Biden tested negative. So I feel like him refusing to attend this digital debate just reflects poorly on the COVID task force uh, because he it, it's a safe and relatively smart move overall speaking. But I just feel like he doesn't want to does he was wrong. Noah. I kind of feel like it's the best option for the current situation. So I'm going to agree with Skylar on that. I mean, like, he has tested positive. And as we know, people can still have these symptoms for weeks to come and not even know about it. But then you can still spread the virus. So I mean, like, with the current situation, I feel like that is the best option is to do a virtual one. And I kind of do feel like he's like, well, if I can't interrupt, then how am I going to do well in this debate? Like, we obviously know that Trump can debate. But a lot of the stuff that he does is interrupt and say, like, you're wrong, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're that. And so I feel like it isn't, I feel like he kind of is like nervous because you have that potential chance. If you're the Zoom host, you can just hit mute right away and you can hit, you can mute every single person. So I feel like he might be a little bit nervous and might not have the opportunity to do what he normally does throughout the debate. So I feel like this is his like kind of saying, well, we should have it in person because then I have this opportunity. But then again, you could then spread it to other people. And I mean, no offense. Both him and Joe Biden are our two oldest people to ever be on a presidential ticket. No offense, just because they're older. So if they get this virus, it can be much worse for them than it could be for anybody else. Doc? I think if they had a setup like they did in that debate last night, uh, with the separation between the two people, I think that would uh, pretty much... Uh, be sufficient, especially if they could cut off the the mics of one or another so they don't interrupt so much. But I don't think 
I mean, the debate has to be face to face. And uh, I kind of look at at Trump and think about, you know, I'm a child of the Second World War. I think of Winston Churchill, who was always out there when the bombs were falling and nasty stuff was going on and leading from the front. Uh, while Biden hides in his basement and leads from behind or tries to lead from behind. Olivia. Um, if Trump tries to, as Doc said, lead from the front um, by, I guess, uh, what he's referring to right now is um, having an in-person debate. The problem is that he's not sacrificing himself. He's sacrificing the health of everybody else that he comes in contact with. We know that he's positive. Um, so we know that he's contagious. And I just, you know, while it might be okay if they sat super far away and had screens up, um, I just think that's a major risk. And I think everybody's going to be worried about that. And if, if Joe Biden, um, got, as Noah said, if he got COVID, like what if, what if he didn't survive that? Like, I just think it's way too much of a risk, um, to have a positive president. And it's a horrible example too, to have a positive president debating on stage, um, in public with people and putting other people at risk. Um, on top of that, I, I know from watching like Fox News and CNN that, you can have like they don't people don't automatically have to be muted like if that's something that neither campaign agreed to i have watched a lot of like reporters and um like fox news uh anchors and cnn anchors arguing over top of um the people that they're interviewing that's possible i mean they could do it that way i just think um trump doesn't want to have another debate right now. I think he he knows that he was like laughed at for his performance in the last debate. And I think that he doesn't want to debate at all right now. All right, let's move on actually to the vice presidential debate. Now, uh, if we think that if, if we, you would argue that presidential debates don't necessarily matter a whole lot, one would naturally think that vice presidential debates would matter even less. But Given the age of the presidential candidates, I think, Noah, you're the one that pointed out that they're both incredibly old, right? And and also given the fact that, you know, President Trump has contracted COVID and we know that or medical science believes that there are potential significant long-term health consequences from that. Did that make this vice presidential debate or these two people as, you know, vice the, the next vice president, one of them, does that make this more important than in a typical vice presidential debate? What do you think? Faith? I do think considering the facts around Trump and Biden, where they said um, that if either one of them were sworn in, well, Trump being reelected, being 74 and 78, um, and especially considering what Trump has COVID and Biden, if he contracted COVID, could be very high risk. I think it does make a bit of a difference, especially with regarding the question that was actually asked if they two of them had had the conversation with either Trump or Biden about um, how they would kind of do the office takeover, which was actually really avoided. But I think it could possibly play a difference, especially just considering the fact that we are in a pandemic and the age of both the candidates. Okay. Alan. Yeah, I completely agree with Faith. These are two of the oldest presidential candidates in history. Ronald Reagan was 70 when he was sworn in. Whoever is sworn in now will be the oldest president. And we've had a lot of medical advances, and I'd still be a little surprised if they either of them died in their term in office. But there is a very real possibility of one of those two candidates on that vice presidential stage stepping up and taking over. 
And we need to see that they are ready for that. And I think that debate will, the idea of this debate is that helps show that. Go ahead, Doc. No, I think, uh, you know, it's very important because I am of the opinion that Biden, no matter what, is going to resign within a year. Uh, He just, he's so old and frail, and I shouldn't say that because I'm older than both of them. (laughs) Uh, But I think that he's just going to bow out and she's going to be president. So count on that. I'd bet on that. Uh, I remember during the, uh, again, during the Second World War when Franklin Roosevelt died and Harry Truman became president. And he actually did not know anything about what was going on. Uh, Roosevelt never confided in him. He didn't even know there was an atomic bomb. So it is important that these vice president, vice presidential candidates know what's going on. Okay. And, you know, on, on that, on that point, this kind of leads to at least one moment in the debate. Uh, Vice President Pence correctly pointed out that Senator Harris has compiled one of the most liberal voting records in the Senate in recent years. And in 2019, she had the most liberal record by by one standard. But generally speaking, her voting record is pretty far to the left. So if Joe Biden, let's say Joe Biden wins and serves out an entire term, he would be 82 years old at the start of a potential second term. And so does that is that a reasonable concern for maybe moderate Republicans who say, well, you know, I'm OK with Joe Biden, but I'm concerned about the potential for a Biden presidency turning into a Harris presidency. And while based on her record, I'm not OK with that. What do you think, Alan? I think that's a reasonable concern if you're a moderate Republican. Biden is relatively older. And there does seem to be sort of this unspoken understanding that he would be a one-term president if elected. So assuming he makes it through his first term, you're looking, there's a very real possibility of a Kamala Harris presidency afterwards. So um, I think that is something, if you're a moderate Republican, that that might be something you'd want to consider when you're voting for them. Let's move on to the format, just in general, kind of a meta view of this debate and maybe a comparison to the first presidential debate, which we I hope isn't the only one. Uh, well, what did you think about the format, the moderator, how things went in general? Was this an improvement or not? Or uh, well, what's your take on that? Let's start with Noah. So um, if any of you listened to the podcast last week, I was very disheartened. Um, I, I was like, upset on how the first presidential debate and I was talking to my mom about this last night because we were watching the debate together and I said honestly I was like this is kind of what I wanted to see from a debate it wasn't perfect we all can say that but I mean like it actually like I mean obviously some of them times they didn't answer questions but again when you're in a debate you're going to answer the question you want to you're not going to always answer the question you want to they want you to So, I mean, like, honestly, watching this debate, I felt like it was a step in the right direction on how a debate should go in America. I felt like it was 20 times better than our presidential debate. Okay, Faith. 
I agree with Noah. I thought it was a much more professional format. Um, even when they entered out, Pence congratulated Harris on being on the stage, um, something that Trump and Biden didn't really kind of do to each other. Um, even when the ba- debate started kind of spin out of control, Susan Page kind of stepped up and tried to gain it in the right direction. Again, with Noah, the same thing. I had a problem kind of with the candidates not answering the questions. I think there was at least three that I noted that they completely disregarded the question and they're like, oh, let me go back and finish that thought and just kind of skipped over the question entirely. But overall, for professionalism, I thought it was a lot better. All right. Uh, let's see, Alan. I just keep stealing the words right out of my mouth <laughs> this week. Yeah, I think a big point like where I realized that this was going to be a different debate was when Su- when Mike Pence did go over his time. And to be fair, they were talking about the military and stuff like that. And Susan Page stepped up and she's like, no, no, your time is over. We have to move on. She had control in this debate, whereas Chris Wallace didn't have control in this and his debate. And I feel like we actually saw more of Vice President Biden's policy and President Trump's policy, even if they didn't answer the questions very in a very straightforward manner than we saw in the actual presidential debate. Okay, uh, one more comment on the debate format before we move on to kind of more substantive things. Skyler. I feel that this debate definitely went much better than last week's presidential debate. But I had some issues with both moderators. Uh, Susan Page held herself together very well. Uh, although I cannot tell you how many times I heard, thank you, Mr. Vice President. Uh, over the course of an hour and a half because Pence would continually just talk over both Susan and Kamala Harris. And he just, he refused to let either of them have any authority, if that makes sense. He just, he had to have the last word. He just kept steam blowing through it. And Susan Page, I feel like she wasn't quite entirely sure how to handle it. Um, as she was only saying, thank you, Mr. Vice President. Thank you, Mr. Vice President, every time he would start talking again. And it ended up being almost 15, 30 seconds after all of that exchange about halfway through the debate. And then he just kept talking because Susan Page just let him go. Um, I, I, I personally have seen that Chris Wallace and Susan Page both aren't necessarily the most unbiased, impartial Debate moderators. Um, I feel like there were there they could have chosen better debate moderators for this. And for those of you who are wondering about those, thank you, Mr. Vice Presidents. There were fourteen of them. I checked the transcript, and one, thank you, sir. Uh, just if you're keeping track at home there. So let's move on. Like I said, the more substantive issues, and that's uh, when start with when asked about a COVID vaccine. Senator Harris said, if the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us that we should take it, then I'll be first in line to take it. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, then I'm not taking it. And in response to that, Vice President Pence accused Senator Harris of undermining faith in a vaccine. Is that a is that a reasonable? Is that a fair accusation? What do you think? Olivia. So right around this segment, um, I thought it was really interesting that Pence said, I think it was right in response to um, Kamala's statement that she'll take a vaccine that's approved by doctors and experts, um, but not one that is only approved by Trump. Um, And Pence responded, stop playing politics with people's lives, Um, which I actually laughed at because that's what I think the general consensus is that we know that's what Trump has done since the start of this pandemic is play politics with people's lives. Um, And I think that's why Kamala is right in um, kind of 
shedding some doubt on a, a vaccine that is pushed out so quickly um, if it's not backed by experts. Trump knows that it's going to shed positive light on him if he can say, have this this claim that he got a vaccine out, his administration got a vaccine out um, faster than any vaccine has ever come out. But it might not be quality. Um, Trump, I, you know, I think a lot of people would agree is more worried about his success and his reputation than he is about the lives and the well-being of American citizens. Um, so, yes, I think it's true that she is um, shedding doubt and discrediting um, the validity of a vaccine, but I think she's right too. But I, I think there's a very real possibility that a vaccine that comes out this quickly that Trump pushes, that experts don't push, could have potential um, major uh, consequences. Okay. Doc? I think if... Uh... That vaccine comes out and Trump says, here, give me a shot in the arm, and he takes it first, uh, that would be great. I mean, that would be just uh, proven that he's confident that it works and should go ahead. I mean, if he, if a vaccine comes out and he doesn't take it, I wouldn't take it either. All right. Noah. Yeah, I have to agree with what Olivia was saying. I mean, Senator Harris basically kind of said what I was thinking last night, that if the public health officials tell me this vaccine is okay, I'll go and get it too. But if President Trump on his Twitter account is saying this vaccine is safe, and then there's like public health officials are saying it's not, that it hasn't been fully tested yet, or there's that these issues potentially, I'm going to trust the public health officials over President Trump. And the reason being is because they're going to know more about the vaccine than I ever will or President Trump. So I feel like what she said last night, I don't, I think it kind of was putting some doubt in there, but I feel it was like kind of just like everybody's thought though. It's like, when are we going to trust that their vaccine actually happens? Because I'm waiting for on October 30th for President Trump to say, we have a vaccine for. COVID-19 on Twitter. I'm waiting for it to happen. That'd be his October surprise that he gives us, that he has this vaccine, and I'm waiting for that to happen. When asked why death rates in the United States are so bad compared to many other developed countries, uh, Vice President Pence uh, decided not to answer that question. Uh, why do you think that he didn't address that question? And, and is that a problem in your view? Olivia? Um, so what he did address is, I, I want to say that his response to that question was something like, well, the experts said that um, if the Trump administration hadn't closed uh, travel with China and hadn't taken action the way that we did, we would have lost two million lives. Um, and they said that even with, if we did everything right, we would have lost 200,000 lives. That was like kind of his uh, defense. Um, however, he neglected to... Um, to add that we are still projected to lose at least 400,000 just by the end of December. Um, and that's not even accounting for how many we might lose um, if the pandemic is still in, in full force, which we have every reason to believe it will be after December and in 2021. Um, so I think that his response was kind of misleading, but of course he doesn't want to um, answer why our death rate per uh, capita is so much higher than other countries because it, it, looks so bad on the, it makes the Trump administration look bad. Um, and I think like, uh, I think maybe Skylar or Faith was saying, um, 
candidates are going to pick and choose what questions they want to answer. And they're kind of going to change the question or um, answer it in a different way. Um, so as they don't have to kind of like pleading the fit, pleading the fist so that they don't have to, you know, say something that makes them look bad and self and criminalize. Okay. Doc. Uh, two things. Uh, first of all, they're still counting a lot of deaths as COVID deaths that aren't COVID deaths. Uh, there's uh, just all kinds of circumstances around that. The uh, second thing is Trump and his government responded to this pandemic. Uh, it is very easy for Harris and Biden to play Monday morning quarterback and go, oh, you did it wrong. Uh, I don't know what you guys do for a living, but I have been in so many situations where I had to jump in and take charge of a situation and got it fixed and three days later was standing in front of four directors who were all yelling at me because they wouldn't have done it that way. And who did I think I was? But they weren't there and they didn't offer any help. And it's the same way. I mean, Biden and Harris can wave their arms all they want, but they weren't on the front line. They're just sitting there trying to second guess and align everything that Trump and his administration did. Okay. Let's move on and uh, talk about a little bit about the Supreme Court issue. Speaking about dodged questions, uh, Joe Biden hasn't said whether he supports adding justices to the Supreme Court. And Last night, Senator Harris herself wouldn't directly answer that question. And in response to that non-answer, Vice President Pence said that the American people uh, deserve an answer on that. Do you agree, Alan? I think it would be good for Vice President, former Vice President Biden and Kamala Harris to clarify their position on um, enlarging the court. I mean, the Republican strategy with the courts has been. Um, they've been playing hardball, I would agree, but um, stacking courts, that was something. Um, I know Doc talks a lot, about, a lot about World War II in the 30s. When FDR tried to stack the courts, that backfired against him, too. It's not a popular strategy, which is the reason they're probably not talking about it. During a presidential debate, I think Kamala Harris's answer was good, which was to shift and talk about how the public should decide who goes on the court. But yeah, I think at some point they're going to need to be straightforward on whether or not they want to enlarge the court. Doc. Yeah, I think if they answer that question and they answer it with a yes, we're going to pack the court, everybody will realize just how really liberal they are. Um, they won't even announce a list of potential candidates uh, if they have announced that and it's, you know, 18 people long. Uh, that would give you their intentions also. 
Now, on, uh, I guess, another sort of uh, unanswered question, uh, Susan Page asked Vice President Pence if he thought that climate change was an existential threat. That's a pretty uh, very straightforward and sort of bold question. Why do you think Vice President Pence didn't really directly uh, answer that question? And I guess even more so, is that do you think that's a fair question or not? Olivia. I think it's a fair question because science proves that climate change is real and that a lot of it is man-made. Um, and I think Pence did not want to answer that question directly because uh, it's become such a partisan issue. Um, and, and a lot of the Republican base, a lot of Trump's base um, is not going to like an answer that uh, that is, yes, I believe climate change is real and is a, a major threat and is man-made. Um, also, a lot of the Trump campaign's uh, criticisms of Biden and uh, Harris's plan um, is that their their climate change, their plan to combat climate change and their version of the Green New Deal um, is going to be so expensive. So it's like if Pence comes out and says, like, yes, climate change is a major threat, but we're also criticizing um, Biden and Harris's plan to combat it. It like he can't. It, it's not a good look to say, yeah, like this is this is awful, but we're also not going to put any funding into combating it. So he, he kind of has to downplay it um, for his for Trump's plans um, pulling out of the the Paris Agreement and um, and not wanting to put funding into you know uh, uh, not using fossil fuels and ending fracking. Um, kind of has to downplay the the severity of climate change for that all to make sense. Okay, faith. I definitely agree with that statement made by Olivia. I do think, especially as of recent, climate change has become a very partisan issue, and it does play away from Trump's base. Um, Pence, I think he said Trump listens to the scientists and then kind of just diverted the question to more things going towards the reason why the environment was better is because of a free market economy. So he's kind of showing again how Olivia said we don't really need to put funding towards this way and just kind of shifted it away um, to what's been going on again because Republicans for the economy, and then also so they don't have to put as much funding into making those changes. Noah? Um, during the debate, I found it really interesting that, again, Pence brought up forest management for California with their wildfires. And I think it was pointed out by somebody on the Facebook page for the political guys that federal government actually owns like a huge majority of land of California. Um, I just looked it up and it says it's around 58% of uh, the forest in California is run by, is technically owned by the federal government. So to say that it's truly just California's fault, is kind of, again, not taking blame that the federal government also can be stepping in as well. And if we need to do this apparent forest management, that they can also step in and do that as well to potentially have less wildfires. Or maybe again, as Trump has said, it'll just get cooler. Maybe it again shows that we need to start actually taking this more seriously because our climate's just not getting cooler. We're having more catastrophic events every single year. We are now on the, um, I think it's the Greek or I forget what, let, uh, what alphabet it is, but we are on the Greek alphabet for names of tropical storms. Like that to me is crazy. I remember like when I was a kid, like I remember we would barely get to N and now we're all the way into the Greek alphabet. So it's kind of just like showing that this is a huge issue. We need to actually start taking it more seriously. Doc. I think, uh... You were talking about California and forest management. Uh, the problem with forest management, even though the government owns the forest, people build houses on it 
and they don't want it managed. They like it beautiful and pristine. But then when it catches on fire, then their house burns down and they get all upset. Uh, you shouldn't be building houses in the middle of a fire-prone area. Uh, so if the government owns that, they should put a stop to that. Um, yes, there's climate change. And I, I honestly believe the climate changes, and it'll keep changing for centuries and centuries. And there's not a lot about that we puny human beings can do about it. Okay, uh, Skyler. Technically, the individual, just like your average citizen, can't necessarily help create impact on climate change. But we have a federal government and multiple corporations that contribute to air pollution and other, other things that affect our climate. And it has been going on for years. Since the Industrial Revolution, we have been polluting the not even the United States, the entire world. And we are starting to see the repercussions of that. We are seeing so many more hurricanes. Like Noah said, we're in the Greek alphabet. I remember back when in 2005 with Hurricane Katrina, we, were, we weren't getting past the middle of the alphabet back then. But now there's been a major hurricane making landfall every month. And we've been seeing an increased amount of wildfires, not just from climate change, but people going out into the foliage and doing gender reveal parties. I feel like it's a combination of just plain ignorance on the individualist and then just corporations and governments taking advantage of mass production and being able to create things so fast to get it to the buyers of the market or the consumers. And I feel if they worked harder on regulating corporations and their output of pollution, we would see such a significant change in climate change. Just like with coronavirus in China, they had the best air quality in a very long time when they shut down the country and they stopped manufacturing production. It isn't the, it doesn't fall on us per se. It falls on the corporations and the governments. It's, it's not fair to, to um, attack an individualist who use plastic straws still, or they don't recycle enough, or any other reason that people feel that climate change falls on us, not necessarily those in power. So let's move on to talk about law enforcement, which was an issue. And one of the questions that uh, Susan Page asked was about the Joe Biden's comments about there being systematic or sorry, systemic racism and implicit bias in law enforcement. And on that point, Vice President Pence argued that saying that holding these views is uh, an insult to law enforcement. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that that's an insult to law enforcement? Olivia? Um, that it really bothered me um, how, like, I, I don't even know where to start. Like, it's, it's just fact. Like, it's fact that systemic racism exists in America. Um, I, it's not fact that every single police officer has implicit bias 
Um, but it's also a fact that there are systemic problems within the police force in America. Um, and that's proven by data. Um, a black person, uh, if, if we're, um, I guess, accurately comparing by population, um, a black American is three times more likely to be uh, brutalized or killed um, by the police force in the United States. Um, one in three black Americans are incarcerated in the United States. Like it's just, it's fact. Um, that does not mean that all police are bad um, or that all police are racist, but there is a problem that has to be combated. And Biden and Harris are right about that. There needs to be systemic reform. Um, I just, it blows my mind that, that Pence and Trump are both trying to like, say that this narrative about systemic racism is false and that it's like just this radical idea perpetrated by the left. Like it's factual. Hey, does anyone want to uh, sort of defend Vice President Pence on that? I mean, does, does he have a point in saying that or are there at least some maybe on the left who are painting too broad of a brush and saying cops are bad or is that a mischaracterization of the message at least that's coming from uh, the or, Sorry, from the former vice president and Senator Harris. Doc. Uh, just uh, to paint a, a different picture on it, um, that kid that got killed out in St. Louis, I can't remember his name, I think it was Floyd, mm -hmm. that the press would put his picture on the news and say, this poor child was killed by the police. Now, the picture of him when he was like 12 years old, cute little kid, they didn't put the picture of him when he's like six foot eight and had just beat up a store proprietor that he was stealing from right before he uh, got shot. Uh, he, I mean, every one of these people who had a problem with the police, first of all, when the police showed up, they did not comply. Uh, the police weren't there because it was fun and games to be there. Uh, they talk about this young woman down in Louisville. Uh, I even saw it on the news today. They said she was an EMT. She used to be an EMT. She quit being an EMT. She was in deep trouble for drugs. The cops didn't show up at her house just for fun. They had a warrant because her and her ex-boyfriend uh, we're knee deep in the drug business, but you don't hear that on the news. Just all these poor people. So you can't lay all this on the police, and especially with the, the mainstream media painting such a a beautiful pe picture of these people that is not true at all. Okay. And just to point out, I think you were referring to uh, the, the Ferguson incident with Michael Michael Brown uh, and and uh, 
Darren Wilson, I believe, was the police officer involved in that. But and while I, I know uh, some people would certainly take issue with some of the specifics of the things you were pointing out, it seemed to me that your larger point was that police are doing a difficult job against people who oftentimes are uh, have backgrounds that aren't necessarily pristine. And so that needs to be taken into account. And too often the victims of police violence are being portrayed as wholly innocent of anything when that's not necessarily the case. Uh, let's see. Uh, Faith. Um, regarding the whole situation, I thought that Harris actually made a really good point. Um, this is actually a quote from hers. I'm a former prosecutor. I know what I'm talking about. Bad cops are bad for good cops. And just her acknowledging, oh, sorry. Um, let me continue the quote. We need to reform our policing in America and our criminal justice system. Just the fact that Harris was able to acknowledge Yes, these things are happening. Yes, they need to be addressed. Also, there are good cops out there. And this is why the system needs to be addressed is because there's problems everywhere. And that without addressing these problems, it's just creating a whole problem for the system as a whole. Noah. Okay. So um, one of my main things I did like about what Kamala said last night was she was like, do not lecture me on this issue. As a woman who is Black, she understands this way much more than any of us will truly ever be able to understand. I can sit here as a white man and say all this information, but I will never have to experience racism in my life. And one major issue I had with what Doc said earlier was that Breonna Taylor was a convicted, was something with drugs. Her ex-boyfriend was convicted, had issues with drugs, not her herself. And so... You can come on here and say we don't need to paint them as saints. That is true. We do not need to paint every single person here as a saint. Nobody is truly a saint. But to come on here and say just some things that just really irks me, like that's the thing that irks me the most. Like this woman is dead now. And we're trying, we have to use her as a political ploy just to even talk about this issue. I think the issue now needs to become we don't need to use people as ploys. We need to use them to show like this is an issue. Like this woman is now dead. Like, she's never coming back. But we are now here at this time and point, and we have to use this poor, innocent Black woman as a ploy to show that this is an issue. And then for people to say that there is no systemic racism, that is the issue I have. Okay. Um, Skylar. To say that the police force isn't inherently racist is false. Uh, in the 1700s, when the police force started to treat, like, be developed, I guess, um, in the South, it was our police force was slave patrol. They would hunt down slaves and return them to their owner. So from the very beginning of our country, there have there's been racism. There have been sla there's been slavery in our country. You truly cannot argue that there isn't some form of systemic racism stemming from black people being enslaved in the country that we live in currently. Not that long ago. Uh the Civil Rights Act happened in 1964, less than a hundred years ago. I just, I feel like using Breonna Taylor as a political martyr shouldn't, shouldn't happen. It's disgusting that politicians have to use the murder of a Black woman to bring justice to people of color in America because more often than not, there are acts of racism and inherent bias every time a police officer murders a black person. Okay. Uh, Olivia. 
Um, I want to go to what Harris said about decriminalizing marijuana and expunging charges for uh, marijuana possession, um, because that was a major issue that I and I know a lot of people had with her um, based on her record um, as as when she worked for law enforcement, um, because marijuana is criminalized specifically um, in the drug classification that it is. to put black people in prison. Uh, you can read all about that. Um, the war on drugs had, you know, whether it was intentional or not, had had racist uh, consequences. Um, it, it disproportionately imprisoned um, and hurt the black community. Um, a lot of the reason for discrepancy in crime rates that, you know, a lot of the crimes that Doc mentioned um, is because of a system that is fundamentally inherently racist. Um, and so I appreciate that Kamala now takes the stance of decriminalizing marijuana because I'm not even going to get into how marijuana isn't near, even as dangerous as alcohol, but um, it, it disproportionately imprisons people of color. Um, and to say that I, I don't care if Brianna Taylor was doing drugs. She wasn't. And whether she was doing drugs and had charges for drugs, different things. But even if she was like there was a manhood against her for drug use, that's not reason to kill her that's not i just like george floyd i you know maybe he was on drugs i've heard that he was on drugs when he was killed um he certainly did not have a clean past but it wasn't law enforcement's job and it wasn't their right to take his life especially in such a torturous way for over eight minutes um it's like there it's not their job to play god i don't care who these people were and what their past was i don't care how many you know criminal offenses they had in their past or what kind of people they were um they shouldn't have been killed resisting uh, resisting but not in a way that's putting the police officers lives in inherent danger is also not grounds for killing somebody um i just i don't know i it's i i just take problem with with saying that because people had had problematic backgrounds that they it's it's justification for their lives being taken scaler going off of what olivia just said they aren't being employed as police officers to play god as per our bill of rights everybody is entitled to due process and a right to a speedy trial our police officers shouldn't play the judge the jury and the executioner that's what we have seen more often than not in the media uh I feel like everybody pointing out, quote unquote, criminally, criminal backgrounds or rough backgrounds, that that's not grounds enough to take somebody's life. Not it's not enough grounds for somebody who is responding to a situation that is supposed to deescalate it, that's supposed to help put it under control, play the executioner while trying to obtain this individual and take them to court where they would get their right to a trial. So we have seen with both Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, just those two examples, they weren't given a right to a trial. Both people have been accused of being on drugs and being caught up with drugs. But multiple sources have come out that neither of them are true to a certain extent. And I feel like putting so much criminalization on drugs itself it it's inherently racist and it it just doesn't help putting people of color with these like marijuana charges like olivia said weed and marijuana haven't necessarily been as dangerous as alcohol consumption and i just feel that 
there's a lot of messiness on both sides when it when it comes to law enforcement. But I'm really happy to see Harris come forward and mend her previous like stance. All right. Now, my my bet is that this debate didn't change any of your minds. My sense is that uh, for the most part, your minds are fairly well made up. But what about for undecided voters who maybe watched some of that trying to put yourself in that position. And do you think that this debate, what they, what they heard last night has the potential of changing their minds? And if so, in what direction and why Noah? Um, One major thing I really liked about what Harris did last night. And I guess this could actually just go to everybody was how presidential she actually looked like, Often not, when Pence was interrupting her, she just said, I'm speaking, sir. And to me, that's just really important to show because let's be real. If any, if she would have like, let's say, like have said something potentially nasty, she would have been painted instantly as an angry black woman. And so I feel like last night, it truly showed how presidential she can be in a tough situation. A lot of times, I remember back in the 2016 um, election, a lot of people said, well, we can't trust a woman to lead our country because she might be too emotional. I think last night, that showed that anybody can run our country, no matter who you are. I don't even think we should have even had that discussion. But last night, what I watched was a potential vice president candidate be very presidential. And that's what made me happy. All right, Olivia. Um, Yeah, I agree with Noah. One thing that I took from the debate is that Harris was very assertive. Um, and that was a major criticism that uh, people on both sides had about Biden was that when Trump would interrupt him and talk over him and bully him, um, Biden just kind of took it and he would kind of laugh and shake his head. But um, Harris was much more assertive. And so for the people, especially on on the right, who are saying that if Biden is this uh, submissive um, against Trump, how is he going to be with foreign policy? Um, I, I think you know, Harris kind of adds to the ticket and and showing that she is at least um, very assertive. And um, I really liked how she, you know, uh, demanded respect and said, you know, Mr. Vice or Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. This is my time. You're interrupting me. Um, And when I think it was at one point, Susan Page said, you know, I would like your response. Um, But in a shorter with, you know, a, a shorter response than what Pence had. And she said, no, I, you know, I deserve the same amount of time as him. I really like that she asserted herself. She didn't back down. Um, but I think Pence, honestly, I think he made some really strong points as well. Um, I was really moved by a lot of the things that uh, Kamala Harris said. A lot of her statements, just the way she speaks were very moving. Um, but I will give Pence some credit when he brought up, a, what was her name? Kayla Muller, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Kayla Muller who was killed in Syria. Um, He had a really strong point on that too, when he brought up how um, a lot of people uh, believe that if Trump had been in in office when she was captured, that she would have made it home alive. Um, So, you know, that was kind of moving to me too. I didn't know that story either. Is it going to change my mind? Absolutely not. But, um, you know, I think there were some strong points made in this debate that we kind of didn't really see all that much in the presidential debate. All right, Alan. Yeah. As for changing minds or um, helping undecided voters to make a decision, I don't think that debate will accomplish that because both candidates came very prepared. Mike Pence, as always, is saying, I I believe he's an incredible debater because he managed to wipe the floor with Tim Kaine and he held his own against a lot of very fair accusations from Kamala Harris. 
And as for Kamala, unlike Tim Kaine, who in 2016 came off as too aggressive, I don't believe she came off as too aggressive. I believe she also managed to hold her own and um, get her points across. Now, granted, both of them, as we've been saying numerous times, didn't really address a lot of the hard questions. And I feel like that's why undecided voters may still be undecided after that debate, because we didn't really learn too much about these candidates other than what they wanted us to know. All right. Skylar. I definitely agree that this debate didn't necessarily help undecided voters. I feel like this just pushed everybody back into their partisan corners, uh, mainly because last week it was kind of a train wreck. And then this week it went a little bit more smoother. But like uh, Alan had said, they both came prepared. They knew what they were going to talk about beforehand. They 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 prepped. They try to get their facts and they had statistics and articles like reputable articles and research groups that they would reference. And I feel like they definitely took way better preparation, but with them being so, so vastly different on the political spectrum, because here you have Pence, a very right individual that is very anti LGBT, very conversion therapy. Um, Esque. And then you have Kamala Harris, who is starting to come more around to decriminalizing drug charges and uh, uh, erasing student debt, a lot of more socialist policies that you wouldn't have seen from her a couple years ago. Um, and I feel that it's just really pushed people apart rather than helping make a decision. Okay. Doc. Uh, Harris. When she did was second guessing uh, the um, Kentucky Attorney General on the outcome of what the grand jury did, I thought that was uh, wrong. That she should uh, be second guessing him. Uh, when you get back to <clears throat> excuse me, she de- decriminalizing. Uh, Marijuana, uh, forgiving debt. I mean, it's almost like the woman has no moral compass. I mean, let's decriminalize everything. Uh, let's forgive all your debt. You have no personal responsibility. Uh, I'll just wave my hands and make everything go away, and then you'll all be happy. That's the way she comes across to me. Okay, and the final word today will go to Faith. Go ahead, Faith. I was just going to agree <clears throat> a lot with what Skylar was saying. I think it kind of just pushed people back in their partisan kind of bubbles. I thought it really just kind of enforced the, the norms of what we kind of knew the candidates were about anyway, especially um, regarding climate change and the economy and COVID. Um, so I don't think it's going to really sway a lot of undecided voters, but I guess we'll find out in a couple weeks. Yes, we will. And that does it for us today. But before we go, I just want to remind everyone, if you have a question for any of us, a question, comment, critique, what have you, just send us an email, mail at politicsguys.com, or you can post a comment in the episode link that will be up on our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if in addition to this series on the 2020 elections and our regular weekend show, you would like a third full-length Politics Guys episode every week, you can get that by becoming a Patreon supporters and supporters get ad free versions of our shows as well as other good stuff. Check it out. Go to patreon.com slash politics guys. And if you'd like to be a supporter, but you can't afford to, but you'd like all that extra content, just send me an email, 
MikeAtPoliticsGuys.com, and I will get you set up with all of our content. We'd also appreciate it if you could subscribe to the show, leave ratings and reviews, and especially if you could share your favorite episodes on social media. And for more great discussions, check out our Bipartisan Politics subreddit. You'll find the URL on the show notes. And again, there's that Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Morano, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkerson, and Nathan Sosnowski. We'll be back with our new weekly news roundup and analysis show on Saturday and the next segment in this election 2020 series on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.